Hello and welcome to The Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians, made possible by Aftercare Australasia and our new sponsorship partners, Australian Unity. I'm Paula Dunn and joining me today is Brendan Telfer. Welcome, Brendan. Yeah, thanks, Paula. Good to be back in the RWPFM Bendigo Bank Studio. Yes. And uh, interesting days. Lovely morning. Beautiful morning. So today on the program, we meet outgoing president of Rotary International, Ian Risley. And we will also welcome back a special guest, Dr Kay Patterson, Australia's Age Discrimination Commissioner. Indeed, going to be great to catch up with uh, Kay as well. Mm. But later in the program, I'm going to give you a bit of a glimpse of the future in aged care with Pippa, the humanoid robot. My name is Pepper and I'm a resident robot assistant for older people and promote the independent living for the elderly people. Yes, Pippa, this week became the first robot to address a British Parliamentary Select Committee examining the extent and direction of technological change in the classroom and also in the aged care sector, Paula. So we'll have a little bit more of Pippa a little bit later on, but maybe some amazing insights into technology and artificial intelligence and what it's going to do in this whole sector in the years ahead. That's that's fascinating. Mm. But first, our regular visitor, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia. Welcome, Warren. G'day, how are you Paula? Really good, thank you. How could you be anything different on this beautiful morning? <laughs> Spring has arrived, yes, fantastic. Yes, it has, love it, love all the flowers. The ra- and the rain's good, the but rain, this m- yeah. means I've got a busy weekend, I've got the lawnmower out again. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, well, welcome. Um, Royal Commission, dates? Updates. What, yeah. What's going on? Well, so we, we're, they've, well, they've got as far as there actually now is a an official uh Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety website. <laughs> but if you uh, trot along and have a look, apart from subscribing for updates, um, there's not a great deal of information there yet. They are going to be holding hearings in each capital city, which is fairly standard, but we don't have any dates for those yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also uh, going to be calling for submissions, but that process hasn't opened yet. Uh, all we know at this stage is that the um, date that the interim report is going to be due is October next year, 2019. October next year. Yeah. Oh, God, so, those things don't happen quickly, do uh, they? Yes, that's oh. right. Uh, and the final report is April 2020. Oh, boy. So, that uh, really annoys me, actually. Yeah. Well, I guess when they, the, I mean, if in oh. fairness, they've got to get around the country. Mm. I mean, you and I might be tempted to put in our own submissions by yes. their read, by the time they're assessed, by the time they're actioned. I mean, they need a bit of wriggle room, but mm. that is that is quite a lot of wriggle yeah. room, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's. I think. Uh, and what happens the, in the meantime yeah, is the thing to that, people. That's the comment that I think I've, we've made. You know, I've made earlier is that mm. there's already been eleven inquiries over the Far last out. ten years into the issues in aged care. There are lots of solutions that are like uh, you know low hanging fruit mm. that that the government could look at and could indeed put in place without waiting mm-hmm. for the for the admittedly as as you say Brendan a very thorough. Um, very thorough uh, royal commission process, which which will be great. But do we really want to have the sort of con- things that we saw in that Four Corners program going on no. for another yeah, eighteen months? And let's hope that that poor lady that was yelling out for two hours to be moved out of bed, those sorts of situations don't happen. Yes. In the interim. Yes. You'd like to think so. You'd like to think yeah. so. Yeah. 
One thing that I guess uh, is worth noting, though, is even even while whilst we're waiting for the results of uh, you know for, for government to act, essentially, there's nothing to stop individual uh, organisations and uh, companies that are involved in aged care acting on their own. That's right, uh, exactly. And I, and I think that's something that that I would be saying is a sign that you know. Companies are taking this seriously and mm. taking their, their role seriously. And that's probably a, a question that I think for people that are looking for care, mm. that, that's probably the question that they should be asking in the meantime is, well, you know, we've seen this, we've heard about it. Um, there's, you're not mandated yet to mm. do anything, but, but what are you doing anyway? Are Show you doing some initiative, anything? yeah. Um, mm. I, I think, I, again, you know, it's come up before that, that Aftercare is very lucky because we work across the disability sector as well, and 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 I've sort of perhaps previously mentioned that my impression is that in some ways the disability industry is ahead of aged care around mm. these sorts of issues. We've literally just rolled off. So so I've come from a training session uh, uh, earlier this week where we've just started rolling out this um, what they call a zero-tolerance uh, policy, which is a Victorian government initiative that they do in disability services, but we've applied it to our whole organisation, and it's very much promoting um, you know, this mandatory reporting of any sorts of uh, abuse, neglect or violence towards any of our clients. So is this an initiative of Aftercare Australasia, or is there an expectation by the Victorian government that you should be rolling this out, Warren? It's a bit of both. It's a bit of both, Brendan. There's an expectation that all disability providers are meant to be doing this for their disability clients with a focus on children's safety. So there's lots of mm. children with disabilities that receive services, but we've taken the initiative of broadening that whole approach and applying it to every single age group that we provide support to. So that includes all of our aged care clients. That's great. Um, and so that, that, that now means that there's a whole process, very well developed sort of protocols, but there's also just as importantly, and this is one of the things I think will come out of the Royal Commission too, it's all about awareness raising. Mm. You know, these, these sorts of issues can't go on if there's a light shone on them. You know, you could see that in that vision that it was yeah. going on behind closed doors, mm. essentially. And because of that, people were thinking, quite wrongly, you know, I can get away with this. Um, so part of doing this training within an organisation is it shines a light within the organisation and raises that awareness of all of your workers saying, um, you know, saying you don't know whether there's a hidden camera on you when you're performing your support. So jolly well make sure that you're performing at your best the whole time. Mm. Um, you don't know whether um, your fellow workers might hear a report about your performance um, that's, that raises some questions for them. Mm. And there's now a process in place that says if that occurs, they're obliged <clears throat> to report that mm. to their manager and that will get investigated. And so you want to make sure that at all times the support you're providing is above reproach. It's not just it has to be okay it actually has to be above reproach. Mm -hmm. And that's that, That's building a culture. That's not just setting rules and punishments. Well, it's an opportunity, that's, it's, it's isn't it? It's, it's, about a, it's an opportunity culture. for providers um, to step up and really show that they, you know, they're worth their salt yep. and that they you know, do care for theirs. But there's a bit of pressure, though, on those providers as well, though. If there's an expectation of cameras watching me, yes. how I go about this, yep. and am I going to get dobbed by my teammate? Yeah. I mean... 
you you would maybe want to be in a slightly more creative or you would want to be able to be volunteering those services rather than having the onus of somebody with a big stick sort of, you know, crack you over the back if you're not getting it right. You know yeah, but I mean? the thing is, you know, if you're doing the right thing, what have you got to worry Indeed. about? Yes. That's absolutely you know? right. And I suppose that's getting on the front foot and yeah. making sure that you are doing the right it, thing. It's, a, it's about, it's a, it is definitely though a carrot and stick approach, which yeah. is, which is really what any kind of good regulation or governance is about, is you want to have those incentives in there for, for people to be recognised for good work that they're doing. And there's plenty of that going on out there, mm. which unfortunately often doesn't get picked up by the media. Mm. Um, but just as equally, there's a there's always a small percentage in any industry of people who just don't do the right thing and they're the ones that you want to be picking up and and basically kicking out. You well, I think it's uh, and this is what this program does is educate listeners mm. to ask questions. Mm. Like so many of the older generations were just, you know, they believe what they're told and they think that, you know, doctors are you know, God, and that um, they nobody would um, do the wrong thing. But it's good meeting Jeanette Lane last week, yeah. suggesting that she's seen a slight yes. change in the way that older people are thinking, their yeah. expectations yeah. And, and their requirements, and which is just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got to keep a bit of an eye on the clock because we've got a very important guest going to join us a little bit later on the show today, Dr Kay Patterson, Australia's Age Discrimination Commissioner, not far away from joining us on our mm -hmm. BFM Warren. Um, so just need to move you on to home care packages. You were saying off air that there could be some fee news for us. We've just got to keep a bit of an eye on this sector. Well, look, you know, this is, this is one of the things, I suppose, that people very much have to bear in mind when you're comparing, um, um, you know, one home care package provider with another home care package provider. Um, you know, it's a, we, it, it, it builds off, you know, some of these sort of perceived uh, areas where there's a bit of a gap. You know, I think, I think what, the, what the government's trying to do is allow a bit of competition in some of these spaces, but sometimes when they allow that, they, they just assume that market forces are going to operate and they only operate when consumers, which is, which is what uh, people that are receive a home care package really are essentially these days. They're a consumer. Mm. They receive funding and they receive a service. Um, it's about, you know, and they have to have that basic knowledge around, well, you know, how do I know if I'm getting a good deal or not? So one of the biggest areas where home care packages can vary considerably is in this area called admin fees or administration fees. Mm. Now, there's an allowance for them to be charged. In fact, there's an expectation they'll be charged, but it's not defined anywhere as to how much or how little you actually can charge. And so what we find is that, for instance, aftercare, we're, we're sort of down the, the lower end of the scale of what's charged, so we charge 13%. Um, but there are other providers out there that might charge 30% for offering exactly the same service, wow. or 35%, even that, 40%. That is a substantial difference. Mm. Well, substantial. Can I, can I give you a bit of an example of that, you know, just to turn that into something a bit more concrete for people? Um, because, again, people can sort of go, oh, yes, but, um, you know, I like this company and... and I'm getting plenty of money anyway. It's not my money. It's the government's money. And so. the brochure looks good. Yeah, yeah the brochure yeah, the looks good. The, mm. the person that came out to explain it to mm. me, they were very friendly mm. and nice. And that's all. And that, they are things to look mm. for. Mm. Um, but, yeah, 13% of a level four package um, equates to um, $125 a week that, a that week. people get charged. Yep, so that's down the bottom end of the scale. Wow. 30% which is not as high as some charge, is $289 a week 
for exactly the same service. That's $164 a week difference. Now, That's it, outrageous. Yeah. So, and, and for most people, a lot of what their home care package uh, provides for them is support in the home. Mm. So a difference of that charge is going to equate roughly to about three and a half hours of support in your home per week. So in other words, you could get an, an extra mm. three and a half hours of support mm. per week, 52 weeks of the year, if you choose a provider that has a lower admin fee. So it makes an enormous difference. Mm. So buyer beware, or we can see this in the fine print, or companies are prepared to reveal these sorts of figures up front, or is there something that we must go looking for? It, it, it's... The level of disclosure varies in terms of upfront. So certainly by the time you get to the point of um, signing an agreement, you have to sign a home care agreement. That's part of the process. Mm. And these things have to be spelled out in that agreement. But really, you should be asking that upfront. Um, and, and are you obliged to give that information if it's asked? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. You are. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's like with any sort of sales mm. approach. And again, this is one of the things that's changed with um, with opening up the market. There's a lot more choice, but it's it, there'd be some parallels between, uh, you know, what's happening in this space and perhaps what what happened in the uh, in the mobile phone mm. area or in mm. the uh, in the um, gas and electricity market where they, they a lot of new providers came in and there's a strong temptation because of the amount of money involved mm. for people to engage in sort of marketing and sales strategies where they do technically meet their obligations but they do it you know, right at the last minute when you've sort of fully committed almost mm. and it's very, you feel obliged to, again, talking about mm. some of our older citizens who, yep. you know, they feel, oh, this nice person, I've, I've, I've taken up all of their time and they've come out to see me and, oh, I can't, re you know, I'm not quite sure what that means and they, they haven't told me in dollar amounts what that means. Mm. Or they've reassured me that that's the, that's the industry standard and that's what everyone charges. Um, so they've got a bit of a sales pitch, mm. um, and oh, I better just sign and, and, and keep going. And we, we see that quite a bit, where people have signed up for another provider on the basis of their reputation, or they, they, they seem like a nice person, and then after after six months, they, they start seeing, they do get a monthly statement, and you can see what's happening with mm. that funding, and that's a key thing to look for too. Is there a cool, back. sorry Warren, is there yeah. a cooling off period? Like uh, from when they signed? No, not mm. that I'm aware of, no. Well, buyer beware. Yeah. Warren Haynes, thank you so much indeed for coming by and joining us on the Age Stage today. It's My always great to catch up. My pleasure. Thanks, Warren. Words of wisdom. So please yes. do have a look closely at your home care packages and those administration fees. There could be a little bit of devil in the detail. Yes, yeah. Ask the questions. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Mm -hmm. You're tuned to RWPFM. This is The Age Stage coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studios right here in beautiful Mornington. When we come back, Kay Patterson, Australia's Age Discrimination Commissioner, and her involvement in the very important Every Age Counts campaign. See you in a moment. This is RWPFM, and you're listening to The Age Stage. I'm Paula Dunn, and my co-host today is Brendan Telfer. And a coalition of more than 20 high-profile organisations and people have united to launch a new nationwide campaign, Brendan, to end ageism. 
the age discrimination in Australia. Indeed. Um, and the initiative is called Every Age Counts. It's a campaign which is now up and running, and the primary advocates, uh, Robert Tickner, the uh, former Federal Minister and Red Cross CEO, and Dr Kay Patterson, the Federal Age Discrimination Commissioner, no stranger to the age stage, and I'm delighted that she's back on the line to talk to us again today. Hello, Kay. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning, Paula. Good morning, Kay. Great to have you on the program again. So Good to be back down there. I wish I was having a holiday down on the yeah. Peninsula. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So tell us about Every Age Counts, Kay. Well, this is the Benevolent Society, an initiative of the Benevolent Society. That's the oldest charity in Australia. It was set up 203 years ago. Really? The first... Uh, charity in Australia and they're still going and still going strong. They just moved into beautiful new premises in Glebe mm-hmm. and they received a $1.7 million grant from the Wicking Trust to actually kick this off and a, a campaign against ageism mm-hmm. and they've got a very long term view, five to ten years the program will run for and they've got a coalition of, you've already said, of about 20 people and organisations supporting this and Robert Tickner, who was a Labor minister, and, and myself, a former Liberal minister, joined um, together, irrespective of our political background, to say this needs to be stamped out. That's wonderful. Now, just for uh, the sake of our listeners that may not understand, um, Kate, just explain what is ageism? Well, it's about when somebody's discriminated against because of their age in the workplace or receiving goods and services or people just think having stereotypes about older people that they're all the same, mm. uh, that they um, are dithery and old and don't need to be counted and re- disregarded. And I think it's about saying, no, they're our treasures, they're people who've helped to build this nation and we ought to respect them and we don't always do that in our culture and we could learn from other cultures about respecting our elders and actually saying that these people have got a lot to teach us about living a long life and a lot of younger people, I'm now talking about people in their 40s and 50s but also even younger, are likely to live into their mid-90s and many of them into their hundreds. Mm, yes, we're hearing that, aren't we? But Kay, why are we having this discussion about ageism, you know, here in the 21st century? Don't people get it that older Australians do have a role and can make a sizable impact in our society? No, I was talking to a 102-year-old the other day at the opening of our Sydney exhibition of um, 100 artists, young artists, teenagers between 14 and 19, painting 100 centenarians in New South Wales. We did it here in Victoria, now in Sydney. And one of the 102-year-olds said that she was at Bonte Beach recently with her daughter, who I presume is in her late 70s or early 80s, and some young person said, why, what are you doing at the beach? She said, we're here because we love the beach. What an awful thing for somebody yes. to say. Why shouldn't somebody be at the beach in 102? She said the water was a bit cold at the moment. And she goes to Zumba class. Well, oh, does she? Well, good on her. Fantastic. So, yeah, I really... And she recited some um, Macbeth for us. So just a tremendous character. And you think, we need to expose young people to these sort of people who, so that they can know that they're, you know, they're still passionate about issues. They still want to contribute to the community. And I just think that uh, we we haven't really experienced the very old, old. I'm talking about people 80 plus. Mm. When I was younger, I touched the first person I met who was 50, of her 90, I mean. thought I'd never met somebody who was 90. In 1976, 
there are 122 centenarians in Australia. There, we now think about 4,500, that figure changes. Wow. And we think in 2050, there'll be about 44,000, 45,000 centenarians. That just shows you how we really need to work towards people appreciating, understanding and acknowledging the contribution older people have made. Well, they're it's very gonna, common in the workplace. Well, they're going to have to get that equation pretty quickly as well with the falling birth rate as well, Kay. I mean, these people are really stepping up and it's on the basis of their hard work and their input, surely, that basically um, we're going around at the moment. Well, of the complaints that come to the Australian Human Rights Commission, about 8% are about ageism or age discrimination and a significant portion of those are about being discriminated against in the workplace. Oh, we don't want somebody over 50, or you're overqualified, or you must take too much sick leave. Now, sometimes that's he said, she said, because mm. there's no written evidence that somebody's discriminated. But sometimes just bringing people together for a, con a conciliation, which is what is done quite separately from the commissioners. There's a separate group of lawyers and people who, who work in conciliating these issues, and just bringing people in to discuss how they felt when an employer apparently or allegedly discriminated against them may just make the employer think twice again. Mm. Sometimes people uh, re-employ someone, not always, but, but usually it's about somebody saying, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't realise we were being ages. Now, we've just done with the Australian Human Resources Institute a survey which hasn't been released yet, but in that there was a significant proportion of companies indicated that they chose not to employ people over 50. Wow. I can't remember the exact figure. I should have it there here at hand, but I don't. But it was very significant. Mm -hmm. And that makes you uh, you're very concerned because older people have got mortgages they need to pay. They're not eligible for the age pension. Mm. They uh, All the evidence shows that they're loyal workers, that they don't have a lot of sick leave, that they're, um, many of them are now IT literate. And one of the figures in that survey showed that more people realise that older people have IT skills, which is a good change because a lot of um, older people are very early adopters and keep themselves up to date. And I think what one of the things that the Benevolent Society is doing is actually working with all of us who are working in this area to try and stamp out ageism in the workplace, in getting people to retire too soon or not helping people transition to retirement or not employing people over 45 or 50. Mm. Then they're going to move on to other areas as well. It's a really long-term approach, and yeah. their website is everyagecounts, all mm -hmm. in one word, everyagecounts.org.au, mm -hmm. and you can sign up to this, and they'll send you information. And they ask people to take the pledge. And Tickner and I took the pledge, and it says, I stand for a world without ageism, where all people of all ages are valued and respected and their contributions are acknowledged. I commit to speak out and take action to ensure older people can participate on equal terms with others in all aspects of life. Mm, wonderful. Simple. Yes. Yeah. But very, very profound. To the point. Yes, definitely. So do you think advertising is the way to go? Like, say, for instance, that being repeated on, you know, television or, you know. Well, I all think sorts people can just, individuals can join. Yeah. Join up. And they can, um, you know, commit and I think to be able to say, we've got, you know, 10,000, 200,000 people mm -hmm. over the last three years have taken the pledge and they're going to make a difference. Mm. And, you know, I was on a, tr a 
train not all that long ago in Sydney and there were a whole lot of young people with their heads down looking at their iPhones and these two very elderly people got on and finally I just said with a very loud voice, I'm sure there's somebody who'll give you a seat each and there was a lot of shuffling and people got up (laughs) and one person said to me, good on you. I said, well, that's my job and I think it's important that yeah. And I don't think they were just being rude. They were just preoccupied with their screens. Yes, yes, yeah, self-occupied. Yeah, definitely. And and they, they just didn't notice that these two very elderly people with suitcases, obviously going out to the airport, I, I would suppose, but they needed a seat. I mean, I was standing and that's fine, but I'm 74. Mm. But mm. I always accept a seat. If somebody offers me a seat, I accept because I think even though I'm, you know, I, I don't look... I hope I don't look my age, but I must probably do look my age. You will never update your own uh, how old you look. Your, or your schoolmates always seem to look older than you do. But, <laughs> but I, I just say, unless I'm only going one stop, look, thank you. And if I were going more than one stop, I'd accept it, and I really appreciate it. But I think just to say turn it down would discourage them from doing it again. Yes, so that's I think right. Yeah. We all, I mean, I'm, I will stand up for a pregnant woman. And yes. it's not about, it's about that person needs to see more than I do at that time. It's mm-hmm. not always about age. Mm. So, so Kay, just firstly, can I just take you back to the survey that you've just done and you're saying that um, companies are discriminating in the workforce with people over 50. They're tending not to hire people over 50. They say that. They say it, we don't it, hire people over 50. Well, well, isn't there legislation that protects those applicants to those jobs and, and, and guarantees them the right to apply? And, and, well, and that's what I said. We get complaints, but sometimes it's hidden. Oh, we just... They just don't, you know, you put in an application, they say you weren't a successful candidate. Unless they say you weren't a successful candidate because we don't employ people over 50, What? whose word is it that you, you weren't the best yeah. candidate, mm. that a 30-year-old was the best candidate? So it's very hard to detect. And what you have to do is change attitudes. And yes. what I've been doing is working with the Australian Human Resources Institute. We've done the survey. We're now looking at how we can actually introduce into the undergraduate courses for people recruiting and human resource staff and or trainees. And they're often younger, but it's not being critical. When I was 25, I thought 32 was ancient. I mean, yeah. it's not being critical of them. It's just exposing them, for example, to a young recruiter who said, look, I was a bit reluctant to employ someone older because I thought, will they take instruction from a younger person? Mm. Will they have more sick leave? Boy, we, we appointed them. We didn't realise what they'd bring all their skills, all their knowledge, their cross-mentoring, and have young people saying that they were surprised and how positive it is to have employed an older person. So it's about really deep educational changes that we need in, in the training of young people in human resources and also in continuing professional development. So I've, do also, I've also written an article for the Australian yeah. Institute of Company Directors last June to say to directors, you should be calling in your HR people and saying, what are we doing about employing older people? Mm. There are a couple of reasons. One is, as the baby boom starts to retire, and the oldest of the baby boom is 70, there are fewer people coming into the workforce. So companies need to understand that unless they actually look after their current workers, help them to transition to retirement, employ older workers, they won't have the staff. And the second thing is that... If we increase the number of people over 55 in the workforce, it will have a $33 billion impact per annum on the economy. Gosh, that's amazing. 
That's a huge amount yeah. of money, Kate. And that's yeah. the most conservative estimate. There are quite a few of the consulting firms have done you know, studies of what the impact will mm. be, and that, that's the most conservative, that there'd be a $33 million impact with just with a 33% increase. When you take the people off benefits, when they're most yes. probably healthier and more connected into the community, they don't use the doctor as often, they don't use pharmaceutical benefits as often, and they start paying taxes, and it has this really uplift factor on the, on the, on the economy. So it has a benefit for the company, a benefit for the individual, and a benefit for the community. So, Kay, as Age Commissioner, are you seeing an improvement at all in attitudes? I think there's been, you know, I said the survey showed that they that some people, um, an increase in the number of people believe that older people are more IT literate. I think that um, this campaign will make a huge difference. I think it's absolutely vital that Robert Tickner and I have joined together across the political divide and, you know, got our, we're on the same page about saying this is detrimental to our community for all sorts of reasons. We isolate people because we don't think they're valued, we don't need to see them. They're more at risk of, of elder abuse, mm. which is a huge cost to them personally and to the community, and also we haven't got them working. So I think, you know, every, every, it's everybody's business. Every single person needs to do this. And one of the things I say to people is the climate you set now is the climate you'll inherit. Mm-hmm. And if you set a climate that's positive about older people, the contribution they can make, the contribution they have made, that's the climate you'll inherit. And unless you die a premature death, every single one of us is going to age. Mm, absolutely. Before the break, we were speaking with Australia's Age Discrimination Commissioner, Dr Kay Patterson. Hi, everyone. Brendan Telfer in the studio with Paula Dunn today. This is the Age Stage. Great to have your company coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio down here in beautiful Mornington Day. Our special guest today is the Age Discrimination Commissioner, Dr Kay Patterson. Before the break, we were talking, Kay, about the incredible impact that the older Australians are going to have to make going into the future. Do you think we older Australians need a sort of a Me Too type moment? to sort of try and galvanise um, thinking around the issue of older Australians and their role in society? Mm, to, to raise awareness. Well, yeah. I think this is what the um, Every Age Counts is trying to do in a different form. I think the Me Too um, could be a bit negative and the Every Age Counts is about positive attitudes, positive action. So I think I wouldn't like to see yet another campaign when we've got one already underway with you know, 20 organisations and significant individuals involved with a grant of $1.7 million from the uh, Wicking Trust. Mm -hmm. It really does give a good foundation for a campaign that's not short-lived, that they're aiming to have five to ten years. I mean, what campaign do people plan for five to ten years? Mm -hmm. You know, the Benevolent Society needs huge congratulations for taking this on. And this is, you know, I don't think we need another... Me Too type campaign. This is a positive campaign about taking action to ensure that we don't have elder um, or ageism, which is one of the really basic factors that leads to elder abuse. Well, what about the role then of government? You're talking about the bipartisan stance at the moment within your group, uh, and I know you don't want to comment public, publicly on it, but in the UK they're looking at the issue of ageism from the point of view of hate crime, for goodness sakes. We probably don't have to go there, but is there a role for, for governments to play here in terms of shaping legislation going forward, do you think? Well, the former Attorney-General, 
George Brandis initiated an Australian Law, Australian Law Commission report with 43 recommendations. And one of my roles is to ensure that as much of those that report is implemented as possible. One of them was to have a national plan, the current Attorney-General, Minister Porter, has actually initiated a draft plan in consultation with all the Attorneys-General. That has been undertaken, it's been out for consultation and in December all the Attorneys will meet together to look at whether they can agree with a national action plan. So governments are doing something about it and there's some interesting innovation being undertaken by various local councils by various state governments, by um, federal governments. For example, uh, the Victorian state government has actually looked at some work that was being done in Box Hill with by the, the Eastern Suburbs Community Legal Centre. They got together about 100 people who were working with older people, community police, aged care assessment teams, lawyers, various people involved in working with older people who are at risk. They formed a network and it's been so successful that the state government's now funded nine more of those, but only for a year, so I hope that whoever wins the state election continues this. They're now in Bendigo and various rural areas to bring together everyone who's involved with working with older people, particularly those at risk, to actually know each other so when a community police person finds somebody in difficulty, they know someone they can go to. It's forming this network of people committed and interested in working with older people at risk. So there's some really interesting, innovative things happening. And the one of the other things that the Law Reform Commission report suggested was a knowledge hub. One of the things I've found is as you move around the Australia, there are some exciting things happening in, for example, South Australia that the people in New South Wales don't know about and vice versa. So if we have best practice, or things that didn't work so well, people can have a look and say, gosh, we could adapt that for us. So governments are doing some things. Well, it's fantastic, and you're driving them as well as the Age Commissioner Kay, and all power to you. It's been a sensational contribution that you've made over the last few years as well. I tell you what, I think a lot of these people should be taking a bit of a leaf out of us here at PFM. I'm not yes. trying to sort of blow up yeah. our own bottoms here, but, I mean, the incredible contribution of people over 50 at this radio station or multimedia station now has just been phenomenal. And if companies, commercial opportunities, could see just the yes. level of expertise and experience uh, and the thought, the creative thought that comes up the steps into this little radio station, it is quite phenomenal. And the way that we work with younger people as yeah. well, you know, and younger well, people. I, I, so it's about intergenerational projects, I think, are one way yeah, to go. Definitely. And the schools are doing it too, yeah. you know, getting young people to interview older people just so they realise they're not dithering and haven't got an opinion about, they've got a history. And I always taught my health science students when I was teaching all the Victorian health science students, physios, OTs, nurses, that this was like their grandma or their grandpa that they were looking after, somebody who had been a mother, a father, a soldier, you know, a lawyer, mm-hmm. a hairdresser. They all had histories and they all needed to be respected. They weren't a hip or a liver or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're described in medicine, but they have a history and they've got even something to give back for you talking to, talking to them for a little while 
and learning about them. And that's what these intergenerational projects do. Incredible. Um, You're 74 years young. You've admitted that publicly with us today, Kay Patterson. Age Commissioner, your term, you say, runs out next year. No, no, 2021. 2021, that's good. Are you looking beyond that by any chance in your role? Well, I don't know whether I'll get another gig, but I'd hope (laughs) I'd like to. I mean, I I applied for the job, and I thought, well, they can't discriminate on the basis of age. (laughs) And and I think I've demonstrated, and I say my age because I think it's important to be out and proud about my age. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm still working full-time. I've still got passion. Mm. And the other thing is that somebody said, how are you enjoying this job? I said, I feel like I've got back into an old saddle. I've been teaching in this area since the late 1970s. I went to America to study gerontology, which is the study of ageing. I then pursued a whole lot of issues affecting older people in the parliament. I got rid of the compulsory retirement age in the public service, which made a huge difference to people who can especially women who can stay on working and save a bit more in their superannuation yes, yes. and not eat into the, any sort of small savings they've got. And so, it, and then I did a big project on homelessness for the Victorian government, um, which they said, show us the emerging groups. And the two emerging groups were young people moving from out-of-home care, from foster care, and older women at risk of homelessness, women who were renting mm-hmm. and alone, and the moment they couldn't rent, they'd run down their assets and lose their their roof over their head. Mm -hmm. And so all those things have come together and I think I couldn't have done this at 35. I didn't have that experience. So there are some jobs that fit an older person when all those things in your life come together to think, I haven't got a lot of time left, I'm going to make the most of it and try and make a difference. I think the thing, Kay, is we can't teach wisdom. Well, what's the old saying? You can't put a young head, an old head on young shoulders. Yeah, that's right. But young heads are very valuable. Mm. Dr Kay Patterson, thank you very much indeed for your time today. We truly appreciate it. Where and how do we go to find a little bit more about Every Age Counts? If, you, if they go to the internet and they just Google Every Age Counts, all one word, .org.au, they'll find all the stuff that's on there and if they join up, they'll get information out about what's happening. And the more that join up, the more we can say, here's the people who are backing us about these issues and they can support the campaign. Sounds fantastic. Everybody should be getting on to it. Dr Kay Patterson, thank you very much indeed taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk to us down here at RWPFM and you know that the welcome mat is always out for you to come bounding up the steps and join us here at RWPFM any time. Well, I hope I can keep bounding up the steps, Brendan, and thank you both for thank your you, interest. Kay. Thank you, Thank you. So Lovely much. to talk to so, you. Thank you so much, Kay. See, speak to you again. Bye-bye. Bye. The Aged Age, brought to you each week on RWPFM in association with Aftercare Australasia and our new sponsors, Australian Unity. When we come back, we'll be taking a little bit more of your time to bring you up to speed with Ian Risley, who has been the international president of Rotary. More of that in just a moment. Australian Unity, great to have your company. And it's time to welcome our new guest, Ian Risley, uh, until recently the president of Rotary International. Ian was down on the Mornington Peninsula to open the Rotary Rye Rosebud Warehouse, now owned by Rotarians, who, when they pay it off, will be able to return more benefit back to the community. Ian, lovely to speak with you, and welcome to the Age Stage. Thank you, Paula, Brendan. Good to be with you. So this sounds really interesting, this project. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, the locals can tell you more than I can. I was just the uh, the truck in the dignitary to do the opening, <laughs> but I was enormously 
close Bud Rye to continue to raise funds and support their local community as well as the extra work they we all do uh, internationally. Well, I know that they were very excited to meet you and get you down there, Ian, and as the former past international Rotary President, mm. it was a great honour. Um, this was a huge role that you performed to be international Rotary President. Um, this is a, a rare and great privilege. Uh, yes, it was. I'm the fifth Australian in the 113 years of Rotary's uh, wow. life. And yes, it was a, a massive honour as well as being a lot of fun so and ro- hard work. <laughs> yes, because Rotary performs a massive role in our community, doesn't it, Ian? Yes, indeed, uh, Paul, is sometimes not necessarily well understood or probably not well, can I say, marketed by ourselves, uh, but we're working on that. So basically, of course, we usually associate it with older Australians, Ian, and this is where you capture some extraordinarily well-credentialed people that have put in, in some instances, some fantastic business careers. Perhaps they've worked in the in the area of social welfare, welfare and so on. But eventually they come to you guys and basically you arrange them and throw them at a series of projects, which obviously, <laughs> obviously brings great wealth and benefit back into their communities. Your records sound ever so slightly dramatic and uh, so on, Brendan. <laughs> Oh, he has a neck. I'm, I'm, I'm in the industry of trying to dramatise and trying to. It's all about storytelling here. But no, but, but, no sure, but fundamentally, that is right, is it not? I mean, sort of. What we like to think is that we don't just uh, appeal to or involve the senior members of society, but reality is that uh, the majority of our members are uh, aged over fifty, mm-hmm. and there's all sorts of reasons for that. I think it's people who are uh, less uh, busy, shall I say, with raising a family, they're established in their business or professional activities, and they probably have a little bit more time available to Mm. concentrate on doing good in the world. So if if you had a 30-year-old, for example, Ian, who said, you know, uh, there might have been a discussion about Rotary and this person might have might decide, well, I might like to be involved. How would you explain to a 30-year-old what Rotary is actually about and what they well, do? Well, an excellent question, Paul. I think it's, there is a perception amongst people of my generation, I'm 71, and, and sometimes I've heard people say that the younger generation are uh, selfish, that they're not interested in making the world a better place, etc., I fundamentally disagree with that. Mm -hmm. I believe that the young people are just as keen in making the world a better place than than my generation was when I was their age. Mm -hmm. But what they will not do is waste their time. They are very time poor. There's a lot of demands on the time for all sorts of younger people these days. Mm -hmm. So what we have to offer is value for their time. And, And I would say to people who are interested in putting back into their local community and more internationally that the advantages that I've got out of being a Rotarian and I joined when I was 31 and you can tell you've been around Rotary for a while when you've been in Rotary longer than you haven't but, uh, <laughs> which is almost sad uh, I have uh, four things fun and friendship there's mm-hmm. a lot of really good people in Rotary and if you've already got too many friends in your life you're an unusual person mm-hmm. so it's a good uh, method of meeting good people it's good to develop your business if you're a, if you're in business for yourself or a, a senior employee it's really good to get to network with a lot of movers and shakers from your area and that's really good and further
further afield. Personal development is particularly relevant for younger people. I joined, as I said, when I was 31, and I was a, uh, a somewhat shy and reserved suburban accountant with a lot to be shy about. And over a period of time in a Rotary Club, you're encouraged, some would say forced, to get on your feet, to talk about things, to lead meetings, to run committees, things like that. And that's really good for you in terms of personal development. But the fourth and probably the most relevant and important part is being a member of a Rotary Club and therefore being involved with the 1.2 million Rotarians from right around the world because it gives you a a unique chance to really make a difference in the world. And so do you, are you how is the membership going? Do you have um, do you have membership drives or how do you keep yeah, up not as such. Mm-hmm. Um, our international membership has been relatively steady now for almost 20 years at just on a tick over 1.2 million. Mm-hmm. But it varies from country to country. It's a little bit down in places like Australia and New Zealand and the US and the UK, but it's growing gangbusters in India and Korea and Taiwan and places like that. And so for, I guess for older Australians as well, Ian, I mean, if they're contemplating retirement or moving into the next stage of their life as well, Rotary obviously is a place where they can capture their skills and, and will put them to good use. Absolutely. And I, I, I haven't retired yet. My business keeps running and they they put me in a corner and humour me. But <laughs> in fact, a lot of people are retiring from 55 onwards. And it's a real yank when you go from being busy all the time mm. to suddenly having time to yourself. And to an extent, there's a limit to how many games of golf you can play a week. Yes. And we like to think, and one of our past governors from my part of the world up here in Hampton once created this lovely expression for people in that position, it is retiring, not expiring. Yes, so yeah, I like that. Is, you've, you've got a lot of skills when you're in your 50s and 60s, uh, still got energy, still got enthusiasm. Here's a chance to meet new people and give back to the community. Sounds brilliant. Well, Ian, congratulations on your international presidency. Thank you very much indeed for taking the trouble to speak to us here at RPPFM. And, of course, we are indebted to Rotary because we're sitting in a refurbished uh, secondary <laughs> school here that if it wasn't for Rotary would not have been built. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm. And, indeed, the Shire would not have had the capacity to then appeal to the federal government to get funds to refurbish the southern bottom part of the building. And all of a sudden we have a fantastic community hub here which is looking after youth, looking after a radio station, a media station here as well. And if it wasn't for Rotary, this would not be happening. Project obviously, Brendan. So that's fabulous. So, mind you, you are probably one of the very naughty boys in the back row. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can see, can you? <laughs> that's all very hu- that's all very hush-hush, Ian. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Lovely yeah, to talk to you. Talk, guys, if if you if ever down this way, please do drop by and, yes. and say hello to us here at the Age Stage. Yes, that'd be wonderful. Be. And before we go, uh, don't forget that the annual Victorian Seniors Festival does run until the end of this month. So there's still a lot to be done. And if you'd like to get into those celebrations and find out what you can do, particularly down here on the Monitor Peninsula, well of course um, for you, your family and friends, always lots of information to be had from the local libraries and Google the Australian and Victorian Seniors Festival. Lots happening, some very interesting happenings as well. You're on RPPFM and you've been listening to The Age Stage, made possible by Aftercare Australasia and our new friends, Australian Unity.
And we would like to thank our guests today, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia, Dr Kay Patterson, Federal Age Discrimination Commissioner, and Ian Risley. Brendan, thank you. Well, thank you very much indeed, uh, Paula. Yeah, we'll be back next week, won't we? We will. Another we busy will. week, and hopefully, yeah. hopefully, fingers crossed, we might be able to get um, the Federal Minister, Ken Wyatt, on the programme. We've been working on that for ages. We know we've been saying it every week, but certainly want to have a look at that Royal Commission yes. terms and conditions. Very good. Um, Paula, I want to leave you with a little touch of the future today yes. with Pippa the Robot. Mm-hmm. And as we were saying earlier on, was the first robot ever to address a British Parliamentary Select Committee and then launched this amazing delivery that charted, well, what could be a real technological change in terms of where the aged care sector might be going. And Pippa able to address the role of artificial intelligence and also what robots are likely to be doing in the very near future. It's amazing stuff. Scary thought. Let's leave you with Pippa this week. See you next week, Paula. Until next week, so long from us here at The Age Stage.